Well, I'm going to talk to you tonight about perceiving, perceiving his presence. And I want you to go to the book of Job, chapter 9, verse 11. They'll put it on the screen if you don't want to, you don't want to turn there. But uh, I was uh, reading a little short book this week by uh, John uh, Osteen. That's Joel Osteen's dad. So when you see Pastor Joel smile and talk about daddy, he's talking about John Osteen. And uh, John wrote this little book called uh, The Divine Flow. And it was just really good to read uh, simple things about the flow of the Holy Spirit and how you can step into it. And uh, it kind of just, as I was skimming through it, because um, that's kind of how I read things, I skim through them. And uh, I had this just, you know, thought coming to my heart about the need for us to be able to perceive God's presence. And one of the scriptures that Brother Osteen put in the book in the opening chapter was out of Job chapter nine, verse 11. And I've read the book of Job many times, but I don't remember this passage, at least not in this context. And it really stood out to me. So look at Job chapter nine, verse 11. I'm gonna read this to you in the ESV, the English Standard Version. And it says this, behold, Job is writing here about the Lord. And he says, behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. And that got me thinking about uh, our ability or sometimes our inability to be aware of the Lord's presence. And if you've been walking with the Lord for any period of time, you know and understand that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all at one time. Uh, it'll really throw your brain for a loop, but David writes and says that even if I make my bed in Sheol, which is the place of the dead, he says, even there you are, that there's no way that, nowhere that you can get away from the unrelenting presence of God. And uh, my personal, well, that might be way, well, yeah, this is, this is supposed to be like a night for disciples, right? On Wednesday night. So I could throw this out to you. If you disagree with it, it's okay. Check back with me in six years. I might disagree with it too. But I, uh, I really think that that's one of the, the, well, that is the chief torment of hell uh, is a place that you can't turn off the unconsuming fire of God's loving presence and everything within you hates that presence and wants to reject that presence. And for some people that experience the all-consuming fire of God, it's a warming embrace of love. And how many of you know that fire doesn't change what it is? You have to change what you bring into fire's presence. And uh, that only change happens is through being born again. There's an incorruptible seed placed in you whenever you make a decision to follow Jesus. And there's a new identity that you have in Christ that lets you be clothed in his righteousness to actually stand in the presence of God. And uh, without that, you know, if you bring dry grass and chafe and stubble, that's a good King James word, stubble, uh, into God's, the fire of God's presence. The book of Hebrews says that our God is an all-consuming fire. And first John says that God is love. So we can say that God is this all-consuming fire of love, perfect love. And how many of you know that that perfect love is, is not just niceties or uh, gracious speech, but that Jesus is the embodiment of who God is. And John chapter one, verse 14 says that we have, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and that he was the beloved of the father, full of grace and truth. So this love of who God is, is revealed to us in Christ Jesus so that we can see and know God, but that love is full of grace and truth. Is everybody following me? And that, uh, we gotta move fast tonight because you're the, you're the smart ones. You come on Wednesday, you already know this stuff, right? So I'm just helping you do review, but I, I, I sincerely believe that, 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 that there's nowhere that you can go 
that you won't experience the presence of God. It's just how you choose to relate to God and his presence that's gonna determine your experience in God's presence. Um, so anyway, you can think about that. And if you disagree with me, it's fine. Uh, go find some scriptures to prove me wrong. It'll be great. Okay, so Job chapter nine, verse 11. Let's do it again. He says, behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves, but I do not perceive him. How many of you would agree that looking at that scripture, there's times in your life where you feel as Job, as Job did. You know God's with you, but you don't perceive him. I know he's moving, he's passing by me, but I'm not perceiving him. I think we often uh, can lack awareness of the Lord's presence in our lives because we're looking for him in the wrong places. Uh, and a lot of the time we're looking for him in the wrong places because we think wrongly about him. Uh, in, in Job's case, Job is living in a time where there was no knowledge that there was a devil. And everything throughout the book of Job up until God actually speaks is Job essentially saying that everything that's happening to him is just the righteous judgment of God and that he doesn't understand it. But even if God kills him, he's gonna keep worshiping. And how many of you know that it's probably a good idea for you to have that kind of devotion in your heart to the Lord? Uh, God's not gonna kill you, but even if he was, you probably need to worship him because there's a good reason that you needed to be dead, right? Not, not everybody's there with their trust relationship with the Lord. Uh, but how many of you know that Job had an incomplete picture of who God was? Uh, the scripture tells us very clearly in the book of Hebrews that, man, I just feel like I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna dump so much on you tonight. Uh, and whatever you do with it is up to you. Uh, but I just really feel like I just, I just want to give you some, some treasures tonight. Is that okay if I just give you some treasures? And then if you like them, you can keep them. If they make you nervous, you can give them to your friend. Just don't take them to the pawn shop, okay? So uh, give them back to me at least before you go. But this is the cream of the crop. So I want to give you some good stuff tonight. This is going to be awesome. This might be the best message I ever do. Okay, so what was I telling you about treasures and what up before then? I gotta go back here just a little bit here. Wait, let me think. What'd you say? Hebrews, yes. The book of Hebrews says that in many times and in many ways, God has spoken to us through the law and through the prophets. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us once and for all through his son, Jesus Christ. Man, I love that. It's a beautiful thing because anytime we have questions about what God's like, or what he says, or what he does, and he doesn't do. How many of you know we need only look as far as Jesus to be the final word on who God is? And denominational groups and Christians for thousands of years have been trying to confuse that, and it's just a very simple truth, is that God is like Jesus. He's always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that he hasn't been like Jesus. We just haven't always known that, but now we do. Is everybody okay with that? Okay, let me poke you a little bit more. John, John chapter one, and you got to listen to John, Pastor Landon, because, you know, I just really relate to John so much because it says that he was the disciple that Jesus loved. And I don't know about you, but I just feel like I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. How about you? I love that the scripture doesn't say that John was the disciple that loved Jesus the most. How many know there's a graduation in your intimacy with God when you stop trying to tell him how much you love him and you just receive how much he loves you? John says, this is the one that's writing at the end of his letter, at the end of his gospel, his account of Jesus' life. And you can trust these words are true because 
I was the one that was seeing him and with him and, and I'm the one that Jesus loved. I like that. I believe that Jesus loves me. Do you believe Jesus loves you? Amen. So much will change about your interaction with the Lord if you stop trying to prove how much that you love him through your rule keeping and through your religiosity. And if you'll just say, man, I truly believe that I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Do you know that'll totally revolutionize your behavior each and every day? Genuine life change comes whenever you receive the truth of how much you're loved by God. Love is the greatest transformative agent that the Lord's given to us and God's love is the transformative power of the universe in our lives. We exist as a church to see people transformed by Jesus and the way that they're transformed by Jesus is Jesus revealing to them the love of the Father. That's what Jesus does. Two of his disciples asked him during his earthly ministry, how long will it be until you show us the Father? And Jesus looks at Philip and he says, Philip, have I been with you this long and you still don't recognize me? How many of you know that Philip was like Job? Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. How many of you know it's possible for you to be around Jesus, but not be able to perceive Christ in you, the hope of glory? I think sometimes we do a good job of perceiving Jesus in others. I think we do a good job of perceiving what Jesus is doing in a service or what Jesus is doing in an aspect of our life or in our community. But how many of us are doing a great job at perceiving Christ in us, the hope of glory? You know, sometimes the hardest place to see Jesus is in you. Anybody else live with you? Oh man, was that, was that really over your head? Okay, I'll say it one more time. How many of you know that sometimes the hardest place to see Jesus is in you? It's easy for you sometimes to see Jesus in other people. It's easy for you to see Jesus in, in the preacher. It's easy for you to see Jesus. It should be super easy for you to see Jesus in me. I mean, it should just be like, Amen. it should just be so evident. It just is beautiful. But <laughs> it's easy for you to see Jesus in a situation or moving in the life of your family member. But how many of you know it's difficult sometimes for you to perceive Christ in you? And there is a geographical location of the spirit of God in the earth today, and it's in you. And it's in us as God's people. Job is operating at a time whenever that perception was not able to be had because the revelation had not come. You need to know truly that revelation is gonna instruct your perception, your thinking. Your perceptions are your thoughts. And I would say perception is not just what you think, it's how you think about a thing. The way you perceive a thing is not just what you're thinking, but how you think about it and why you think about it. Anybody ever thought about what they thought about? Yes. If you haven't, people around you will like you more if you start thinking about what you think about. It's like being around people, and I don't want to pick on anybody, and I don't want anybody to point at anybody, but it's like being around people that you know haven't grown in what it means to be self-aware. To be self-aware means that you have, the, you have the conscious ability to ask yourself, how am I perceived by somebody else? And if I could teach some of you to grow in your ability 
of how you're perceived by other people, if you're able to recognize how you're perceived by other people, I can guarantee I could get you five more friends overnight. <laughs> and maybe a date, amen? Right? <laughs> if you're single. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Listen, I could, I, could, I could help you have better interaction with your spouse and your kids. You know, uh, a, uh, oh, I got to find this one real quick. This is worth the, this is worth the, uh, the wait here. Let me find this. This is a really good one. All of us need people in our life that help us grow in what it means to be aware of how other people are perceiving us. This is a guy, I, I kind of am enjoying some of his stuff. I won't say his name because I don't know a lot about him and he might be really controversial, but he says this, a friend remembers your favorite food. A true friend tells you when you have food in your teeth. Part of caring about people is helping them see their blind spots and shielding them from embarrassment. Honesty from a friend is not a betrayal or an attack. It's an act of kindness. How many of you know that there is no friend like you have in the Lord Jesus? Jesus is the master, if you listen to him, about taking you back to a situation in which you had the spirit of jerk come on you. And he will show it to you through the eyes of the person that you were a jerk to. And that's whenever something magical happens inside of you called conviction. We'll do it like SpongeBob does imagination, make it sound better. Conviction, <laughs> a little rainbow, make you happy. How many of you want to be a righteous person? Amen. How many of you believe that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and your born again spirit, you are righteous? Amen. How many of you know that you need to act like it now? How many of you know that righteous people love conviction? I crave, man. In the, in the words of uh, Pastor Mark Grillo, don't make me come down there, okay? Which, uh, by the way, you mark your calendar for the first Wednesday in October. You know we do the dwelling place services on the first Wednesday. Well, uh, Pastor Mark and Cle Lisa confirmed with me two days ago. They come minister at that first Wednesday in October service with us. So you want to make sure that you're here for that. That's going to be really good. But uh, uh, this, this understanding that righteous people should love conviction. We should love it. It doesn't mean you have to like it. Well, there's just so much truth coming tonight. I don't know what we're going to do with all this truth. Do you love your spouse? Do you love your kids? You ever not like them? Some of you are afraid to admit that. What's wrong with you? The first step to healing is admitting that you have a problem. <laughs> have you ever loved somebody and not liked them all at the same time? That's called being a human being. I love all of you. I guarantee you, somebody in here, I'm not going to look for too long, has done something that's made me tempted not to like you. <laughs> At least for a couple minutes, right? I'm mature. It takes me a couple minutes. It'll take you a couple days. It takes me a couple minutes, okay? <laughs> Are you hearing me? It's just the truth of life. That's, that's what it is. Jesus is a friend to you. And this beauty about the friend that you have on the inside of you happens to also be the God of the universe who knows all things, sees all things, knows the number of hairs on your head, knows exactly what situation you're going to step into that's going to make it real easy for the spirit of jerk to attach itself to you. 
We'll speak to you. We'll say, warning, jerk spirit coming. (laughs) But the problem is, is that for many of us, we live in Job's reality. Behold, he passes by me. I believe he's around. I just don't believe he's talking. Or if he is, I got a listening problem. Well, that might be true. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves, but I do not perceive him. I don't think that the apostle Paul wrote to us in his letter to the Corinthians and told us that we have the mind of Christ on the inside of us and we have the ability to know the deep things of God if it was impossible for us to perceive the presence of the Lord Jesus. If you've got the mind of Christ on the inside of you, how many of you know and realize that you can think what Jesus is thinking? You can know God's thoughts. You can know what God thinks about a thing. Have you, uh, have you ever really felt like you needed to make a decision? And this should be everybody. I'm being super general. But have you ever really had to make an important decision? And before you do it, you just know you need to talk to somebody. And what do you say? I want to hear what you have to say or what you think about this. Why do you do that? Because you want somebody to aid your perception. You want them to tell you that you've got food in your teeth. You want them to say, I don't think you're seeing it this way. You want another perspective. How many of you know that it's a beautiful thing to be able to have God's perspective on the inside of you? And I'm telling you that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and through the ability for you to have relationship with Jesus, you have the ability to perceive Jesus's presence and to get Jesus's perspective on any situation in your life. The problem is, is that we think wrongly about him. Much of our lack of seeing, hearing, and experiencing God in terms of the reality of his presence is because we think wrongly about him. Some of us still hang on to little pet uh, philosophies and schools of thought that say, well, at the end of the day, you know, experiencing God in the way you're talking about, Pastor Zach, doesn't matter. God's pleased with faith and it's blind, cold faith alone that we're called to live by. How many of you know that if you believe in blind faith, you don't believe in Bible faith? Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse one says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that you cannot see. It's a contradiction of the scripture for you to preach and believe blind faith. Bible faith sees. It's not blind. Bible faith is not a blind guess. It's not a well wish. It's not just slinging a prayer up and saying, okay, God, if you hear this, if you really are listening, let me just level with you. If you pray, and this is also, you know, not talking to you. I'm trying to give you tools of training so that you can be discipling other people. But if you love people, you need to teach them how to pray. Like what greater lifeline do you have than prayer, which is your personal communion with God? And how many of you know that Jesus didn't say in regards to prayer, just pray however you want to. Bless our hearts. We just, we just really like this combination of the, uh, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Disney World, and Oprah Winfrey all mixed together into one. 
Well, just talk to God. It doesn't matter how you pray. I love the spirit of that. How many of the spirit of that's right, that you should be able just to talk to your heart from, to God? I believe the spirit of the heart behind that is right. It's just not biblical. Like it's, it's right, it's leaning the right way. But when Jesus' followers came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray the way that John the baptizer taught his disciples to pray. I mean, if you know, Jesus didn't say, oh, just do it however you want to. As long as you make time for it, believe in yourself, champ. Follow your heart. Just go for it. If you can dream it, you can do it. How many of you know Jesus never says things like that? He gets quoted that way a lot, but I call that Jesus, not Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Robbins. That's a combo of motivational speak, self-improvement motivation and Jesus, and that doesn't mix. <laughs> Jesus says, sure, I'll teach you. When you pray, pray like this. And he wasn't saying every time you pray, and the religious among us say, well, that means every time you pray, you have to pray that Lord's prayer. It's not heard by Lord, no. Every time you pray, you should follow the template of that. And remember, write the first line that who you go to talk to is not some distant sky deity that you have to appease with all these things and requests and is millions of light years away in some galaxy. No, our Father. Why did Jesus teach that prayer? He taught you that prayer so that you would enter into a certain posture in your prayer time of nearness to God, understanding his father's heart, giving the separation between the temptation that comes from the evil one and the test of faith that come through your life as a believer. How many of you know Job didn't have that revelation? Job's prayer life was off because he didn't have the revelation of who Jesus was. Wow, is this too much? Is everybody okay? Okay, because I can quit now. We can leave early at 720. Okay, we'll keep going. One of you wants to stay. All right, praise God. How many of you know we lack seeing, hearing, and feeling God's presence in our life because we think about him wrongly? We think sometimes that God wants us to live by blind, cold faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah, faith as described by the scripture, which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that you can't see. Faith should empower you to see God. Not with these physical eyes, even though that's a gift that many step into and experience, but through the eyes of your heart, being able to perceive the person of Jesus through the acts of selfless love of a friend, of a loved one, through a confirming word that comes in the midst of a situation where you're experiencing hopelessness, how many of you know that perceiving God is also akin to the ability to perceive the things of the kingdom? Anything that's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is of God's kingdom, which means it's of God. Okay. We don't often see, hear, feel, and experience the presence of the Lord because we think wrongly about him or we have wrong beliefs. Some of us operate with a belief system that says, well, that thing that I'm bringing to God in prayer I don't really think that he cares about it. It's not really important. It doesn't seem like an important enough thing to bring to God in prayer. And at the end of the day, God's probably doing more important things. Who am I? God's doing more important things. God, or the other side of that ditch is God cares about everything. Okay, help me with this one. Uh, you know, 
people trying to practice things like, you know, and I got to qualify this statement. You got to qualify everything that you say, but it'll really help you when people are preaching, listen to what they do say, not what they don't say. That's, that's the number one uh, vaccination for the virus of offense from whoever's preaching the word is just hear what they do say, not what they don't say. That'll help you every time. I'll give you a shot of it right now. Ready? Okay. So listen, listen, listen to me. One thing that keeps us from experiencing and hearing and seeing God's presence in our life, perceiving God's presence is because we think that there's things in our life that God just, it's not, not important. We don't, we don't want to take it to him because we don't want to bother him with it. The other ditch is believing that God cares about everything. And what I mean by that is this, and I'm saying it that way on purpose to get your attention. You know, people are saying, well, I prayed this morning for 45 minutes about what color pants to put on because Jesus said he didn't do anything. And in the Greek, brother, anything means anything, means everything. So I've, you ever talked to somebody like this? I have. Man, you guys should get out more. But I prayed for 45 minutes this morning. I was late to work and I got written up by my boss. And it was all because I was waiting on the Lord to tell me what color pants to put on. How many of you know, if you're not hearing, God don't care. Just put on pants and go to work. God cares about everything, but how many of you know there's some things that God don't care about? <laughs> Try balancing that out. You know, uh, I'd have, uh, when I was teaching at the academy, I'd have so many of the seniors come, and it's true, it's the biggest decision they're making in their life, what they're going to do after high school. Where are they going to school? And they'd come and they'd sit down and tell Mr. Backus, I got accepted in this school and I got accepted in this school and I've been praying and fasting for two weeks and I just can't hear God on it. And I'd say, well, which one do you want to go to? Well, I don't want to do anything unless God tells me which place to go to. I said, well, you might not go to college because you've been fasting and praying for two weeks and you haven't made a decision yet. So do you really want to go to school? Yeah, but I'm waiting for God to tell me which school I've got to go to. I said, well, did you get into both of them? Yeah. I said, so let me ask you this. Have you gone to your dad? Yeah, I went to my dad. What'd he say? He said, well, the decision really is yours, but let's look at a list of pros and cons. I said, well, what did he do? Well, he sat me down in his office and he said, well, these are the things that are good about this school. This is the thing that's good about this school. This might be some things to watch out for here, which everyone you go to, make sure you, if you're moving away, you find a good church whenever you get there and that you have good friends and this and this. And then he left the advice at that. I said, hmm, I feel like God would give you the same advice. Why don't you just pick the school that you're going to go to? See, some of you don't like that, but you're frustrated because you've been waiting for 15 years for an answer that God's just telling you, pick something. You're 45 years old. Pick something. Well, I just don't want to do anything. I don't want to get ahead of God. Well, it's possible to be behind God, too. And how many of you know you still see his glory, but I don't anyway. I want to be walking with the Lord to be yoked to Jesus. 15, I'm waiting on the word of God for 15 years. My Lord, you know, what? you finally die and you stand before Jesus is going to say, are you ready to pick? I've been wanting to talk to you about something else for 15 years. And now you're dead. Are you hearing me? Now, don't get in a hurry. Don't get ahead of God. But my God, if you're waiting for 15 years, just choose. If it's wrong, he'll cover you. He'll help you. You'll find out. You got to learn. You got to grow. You got to scrape your knees sometime. 
Okay, hallelujah. This is great preaching. Some of us aren't experiencing God's presence because we think he cares about everything. He does care about everything. He just doesn't care about everything. All right. Let me, I'm not even going to, you know what, I'm intentionally, you know, out of like the, what was like the 183 questions that Jesus was asked in the gospels, he only directly answered like eight of them. How many of you know, we are way more addicted to having answers and things spelled out to us than we should be. The part of the reason we can't perceive God's presence is because we're not practicing perception. We're practicing being told. Okay. Another wrong thing that keeps people from experiencing the presence of God. I haven't tithed this month. And then that unexpected bill came up because my car blew out a tire on the highway. And I just knew in my heart, as soon as that car tire blew out, that that was my punishment for not tithing. My Lord, come on, listen to me here. Listen to me for a minute here. I'm telling you that as you start, if you actually start discipling people, they're not gonna know what you know. There's people that legitimately believe this. There's some of you sitting here that believe this, that believe what I just said. And that's wrong. When do you see Jesus in the gospels? Up on the grassy knoll with a bean shooter. I saw, I, saw, I saw that sucker didn't put enough in the widow and orphan box at the temple. Watch this. Gabriel, watch this. We're about to bust his chariot tire. I'm going to get my money. How many of you know? <laughs> Pastor Harvey, I need an amen. God's not going to blow out your car tire because you didn't tithe. Should you tithe? Absolutely. I, for one, would really appreciate it if you keep tithing. Okay, I'm not going to explain that. Some of you, okay. Okay. Another wrong thinking. We can't perceive God's presence because we have the wrong perceptions. God will love me more, or it's possible to get God to love me more if I stop this or I start that. It's just like I tell, we tell, our kids, we'll love you no matter what you do. It, love isn't conditional, not God's kind of love. Now, consequences based upon your choices vary based upon your maturity, based upon the knowledge that you had beforehand. How many of you know God's loving, but he's also just? But you can't do anything to get God to love you more. If you really think about it, some of you live with a, in the back of your mind belief system that God loves people more based upon what they do and what they don't do. And you forget that the Bible says that God loved you while you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. God loved you. And that's why he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Danny, did you know that it didn't say, for God so loved the church that he sent his son? I was talking to Danny. I like Danny. God so loved the world. How many of you know you used to be in the world? God so loved the world. It's a wrong 
perception to believe that. And of course, we know God, especially in this house, we should know, God put in sickness on me to grow me in character. We know that that's, that's just a wrong perception. You know, you're going to struggle hearing from God if you believe that the reason you're sick is God's fault. God won't, this is a big one. I'll get you here. Some of this is review. You guys like, you're keeping an internal track of your mind. You're like, tally mark one. I don't believe that. Yeah, I used to believe that. I've grown. All right, I'm trying to catch everybody. So hear about the last one. God won't forgive me this time. Or if I do that one more time, I just don't know if there could be mercy and grace for that. You might not be there, and praise God if you're not, but how many of you know that there's people that are looking for discipleship from you that still believe some of these things? And I can guarantee you that if these wrong perceptions are there in regards to God, they're definitely gonna have trouble perceiving God's presence. Everybody okay? Okay, let's keep going. And learning to perceive him as he really is and what he's really saying, our perceptions have to change so that our realities can transform. And what I really mean by that is this, is that Jesus desperately wants to change your perceptions so that he can transform your realities. Jesus can't transform your realities until he gets you to change your perceptions. So where do we learn to perceive Jesus as he really is? Where do we learn to perceive what Jesus is actually saying, what he's really wanting to do? How many of you know that the scriptures give us the final word on the attributes and overall personality of Christ? Which is really simple that the way that we grow in being able to perceive Jesus's presence is we grow in our ability to perceive the word of God, the written word of God. You have to immerse yourself in the accounts of Jesus's life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have to sit with Jesus in the accounts of his life until you start to see it in your life. It's possible to grow in your ability to perceive God's presence. I believe that there is an eternal pathway of continuing to grow in the perception of God's presence. You know that not everybody perceives God's presence the same way and not everybody perceives God's presence as readily as other people. What's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. It's the same way it is with everything else. Practice. Practice. You know, whenever I was saved but not following the Lord, I started using bad words in my conversations. And at first I was kind of an awkward cusser because I didn't use it a whole lot. But having many you know that after a couple of years of practicing it, you get to be a pretty good cusser if you put some work into it. Are you listening to me? I mean, you know, at first when you start speaking what God's word would say to a person or into a situation, it can feel awkward, maybe even a little bit fake because you don't even know fully if you believe it yet. But having you know with enough practice, it starts to become the actual transformation agent to your realities. So what do you do? Do you wait until it feels right? No, you do it because it is right. 
And as you practice that, you will grow in what it means to be able to perceive what the Lord says about a situation. And as you spend time meditating in the word, you start in the written word, you start to open up your inner ear of your heart to his spoken word by the Holy Spirit in your life day in and day out. Need another amen? Amen. This is the truth. This is good. But if we're going to go forward in discipleship as Pastor Jacob was preaching on Sunday, and we really are going to be serious about being apprentices of Jesus, we have to take inventory of where these practices are at in our lives. We should be aspiring to a place that when things go wrong, our first response should not be perceiving the problem. It should be perceiving his presence in the midst of the problematic situation. But that only comes by knowing what he's saying about the situation. And when I don't have that inner ear of my heart trained through the exercising of God's written word, how many of you know that the book is only written to put you in touch with the author? The reason that there's mean Christians that know the Bible backwards and forwards is because they read it and they didn't allow it to lead them into relationship with Jesus. If you have legitimate relationship with Jesus, it doesn't mean that you won't be mean at times. It means you can't be a mean person though. No one that has legitimate relationship with Jesus is a mean person. They might have mean moments, but they're not a mean person. It is totally possible to be best friends with the Bible and be a mean person. Okay. We're moving right along. Okay. Hallelujah. What's the other thing we've got to practice to be able to grow in our ability to perceive the Lord's presence? We need to practice relationship with other believers that are actually bearing the fruits of the Spirit and operating in the gifts of the Spirit. People like to compartmentalize these, you know, and say, well, gifts are better than fruit. Well, no. Well, fruit's better than gifts. Well, no. If God's provided you both, the best thing is to have both. <laughs> this is just, this should be very simple. I'm hoping the lack of response is not because you're bored, but... Okay, other, we need to practice relationship with other believers that are actually bearing the fruit of the Spirit and operating the gifts of the Spirit. Do you know when you're around people that actually resemble Jesus, it's easier for you to perceive Jesus whenever you're alone. When you're actually around people that sound like Jesus, act like Jesus, release the fruit of the Spirit and operate in the gifts of the Spirit, when you're alone, you have a reference point for that voice on the inside of you that comes. How many of you know not all the voices that come in your head are good voices? Voices that violate the written word of God are not good voices, but voices that also violate the spoken word of God that's trying to happen in your heart are also not good voices. And sometimes you need an agent to be able to test it by. You have a voice or an impression that comes to you about such and such thing. And you say, I mean, I've never heard that before. Is that genuine revelation or did I have a crazy thought? And then you're in a life group or in a disciple school group and you're talking with people and somebody says, you know, I learned this 15 years ago and it's based on this scripture, this scripture, and this scripture and I've applied it in my life and this is the fruit. And he said, that's what I heard in the car by myself five days ago. Yeah. How many of you know you just got confirmation that you're perceiving God's presence? Right. Yeah, Amen, you should clap there. That was really good. Okay, so <clears throat> I need some encouragement. It's hard to be up here. All you guys are looking at me. <laughs> 
I know, it helps. I'm easy on the eyes. It's good. Okay, <laughs> sitting. Some of you need to get some confidence about you. Praise God. How else do we grow in our ability to perceive God's presence? Well, we grow in our ability to perceive God's presence by sitting, by sitting. Sitting means that I'm not in a rush or I'm not in a hurry, right? It's tough to look hurried if you're sitting. If you do, it just makes everyone uncomfortable. People that are sitting and look hurried will make you uncomfortable because everything that they're doing does not fit what they're actually doing. Standing and looking hurried, not as uncomfortable. Walking and looking hurried, not enough comfortable. But if you're sitting and you're looking hurried, we're all waiting to see if you have a demon, right? I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> Shouldn't joke about stuff like that. Well, I did. Sitting in heart to heart. Listen, how do we grow in our ability to perceive God's presence? We grow in it by sitting, sitting, lingering in heart to heart conversation with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call that in the Christian world prayer. Do you know you'll grow in your ability to perceive God's presence if you actually pray? <laughs> okay, let's move on. You didn't like that one as much. Okay, you know what else will cause you to grow in your ability to perceive God's presence? Learning how to deny the growling demands of your flesh. That's called fasting. And we try to soft hand it, you know, because we really like food especially in southeastern Oklahoma. Little bit of chicken fry. Okay, anyway, we won't go there, but some of you need to get delivered from the next line in that song. But what I want to tell you is don't think about it too long. Let it go. Let it go. It's not a good voice. It's not a good voice. Okay. <laughs> but there is something about a pair of jeans that fits just right. Okay, so let's just keep going here. I'm, Paul, Paul did it. He was with the Greeks and he said, some of your poets have said this. So that was one of the poets. Okay, denying the growling demands of your flesh. How many of you know that your flesh growls? Try missing two meals in a day. That's the beast. It is. You don't believe me, it is. Feed me. How many of you know, if we're honest, most of us got a little bit extra that we can live on for two meals if we need to. It's going to be all right, you know. We don't have to run to the, you know, five cliff bars and Gatorade because we missed two meals. I don't want to be dehydrated. Brother, you ain't going to be dehydrated. You're in the air conditioner all day. You're going to be okay. Okay, are you listening to me? Part of the way we grow in being able to perceive God's presence. I many of you say, I want to grow in being able to perceive God's presence in my life. Hey, man, this is good. That's at least all of you. The rest of you, man, I just sometimes wonder. But I'm <clears throat> just kidding. Denying, I really do wonder, but it wasn't because you didn't wear your hand. Denying the growling demand, denying, saying no to the growling demands of your flesh. Fasting. We try to soft hand it because we really like food. Well, there's a lot of fasts you can do, brother. You can fast your phone. You can fast Facebook. You just tell me that because you don't want to fast food. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Some of us, we know we have physical limitations. We can't, all those kind of things. I'm not poking at you at all. It's, 
don't listen to what I am saying, not what I'm not saying. Remember that rule that I just taught. Learn to perceive God's presence by listening to Zach when he's preaching, okay? That's the other thing I should add to this list. Listen, denying the growling demands of your flesh. Jesus said some practices very clearly in the scriptures. He said, when you pray, do it like this. When you fast, don't be like the hypocrites who make their faces shrunken in and walk around and say, oh, I have to pass on lunch today because I'm fasting in the Lord's fasting. So holy, so holy, right? Don't be like that. It's like, just keep it private. If somebody really pushes like I do, because I do this, what is your problem? You're fasting or something? And then they're like, yeah, I am. And I always feel bad, but anyway. <clears throat> and then I call him a hypocrite and I walk away. No, I'm just kidding, but it's not a real fast anymore because you told me. I'm just trying to, <laughs> okay, we got to keep going. I've only got an hour left. Clearing, listen to this. One of the things that distorts our ability to perceive God's presence is because we've got this fog of materialism in our life, being addicted to material things, not just the clothes, the pair of jeans that fits just right, not just the chicken fry, but we also become addicted to the things that provide us immediate bursts of distraction and entertainment. We find comfort in the binge watching our favorite show. We find comfort in the, you know, little bit of ice cream, you know, whatever. And all those things are good. I'm, I'm not against TV or anything like that. I partake, not as much as I used to, uh, because I'm, you know, that's yes, holy cry, thank you. <laughs> you know me too well. That was so good. Uh, but the, uh, it, but we, need, we have to clear the fog of materialism. Our gravitational pull is towards the things that uh, we can feel with our senses. Uh, taste, touch, smell, you know, those things. Those things are kind of important. And there's this fog that happens in our life, and there's this natural drifting towards being consumed by materialism. How much more we can get, uh, how much we can upgrade, how much we can customize. And the way of the believer is to practice generosity, giving. How many of you know the practice of giving is something that helps us clear the fog of materialism in our life? You'll have trouble perceiving the presence of the Lord if you're materialistic. This is so good. This is like one of the best things I've heard in a while. This is just so awesome. Okay. Man, and I'm uh, six minutes over, so, man, I, had, I got this other thing to do here. <sighs> they, just, uh, they just can't. I just can't. I just can't. I just can't. Huh? I know we do. Okay, look at this really quick. Um, I'm telling you that, let me encourage you with this, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you some scriptures to read, all right, and some homework to practice, but... Um, one of the things that we have to give ourselves some grace for is knowing that perceiving the presence of God is a practice and it's a process, okay? Um, and we're all at different places of our journey in regards to some of these practices that I outlined. The practices that I outlined are scripturally the things that help us grow in our ability to perceive the presence of God. Um, and this is a process. And I'm here to encourage you that even even, I can do this in five minutes, even the heroes of the faith that we look up to have struggled in this process. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 
through 28. You can go back and read the whole thing later. Essentially, what's happening in Matthew 15, and there's a similar account in Mark's gospel, is that Jesus is teaching his followers about what really makes a person unclean. And he tells them, he says, look, guys, listen, it's not what goes in to a man that defiles him. And he's talking to them about, yeah, you're keeping all these dietary laws, but there's a time coming when all that's going to pass away. And I need you to see that it's not really what goes into you that defiles you. It's not the uncleanness of that meat that makes you unclean. It's the stuff that comes out of you. The corrupt speech, the lust, the anger, the things that come out of your heart, that's what defiles a person, not what goes into a person, but what comes out of them. And uh, after he gets done teaching this, um, he has an interaction with a Canaanite woman. And she comes to him crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And he didn't answer her, not a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. <laughs> and he said, and he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as, he, as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. There's a lot of different ways to look at this passage. I think the best way to look at it is the way I'm about to teach you, obviously, because I'm going to teach it this way. But do you see how all of a sudden in the middle of this, there's an exclamation point from Jesus? Oh, woman, great is your faith. I know Jesus. I know his personality because I hang out with him. And the thing I can tell you about Jesus is that he doesn't violate his word. And the book of Proverbs says that it's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings to search it out, which means that God's delight is, the is, God's delight is in the concealing because he delights in seeing you discover it's very equivalent of, you know, uh, man, let's do something controversial, Easter eggs. You hide Easter eggs for your kids and uh, you hide them and you watch them go out and find them. How many of you know the only delight of the sweat that goes into concealing them is because the look on their face when they find them, it brings delight to you. How many of you know that if you really look at this in context, Jesus is concealing a thing that he wants to reveal it's almost like he gets to this place of saying, oh, woman, great is your faith. He can't keep it in any longer, what he's doing. Jesus is the best teacher that ever lived. Amen. You have to read the Bible in context so that you'll understand Jesus' personality, all right? Not just these one-line things. There's all these great, you know, scholarly things about this passage and what he was doing and all these kind of things. And if you look at it, it's simple. He starts off at the beginning of the chapter telling them with his words what it is that really makes somebody unclean. And he knows that because they've got some real wrong perceptions, that he's going to have to show them a transformed reality through someone that by their law is totally unclean and has no business approaching him. And have you know that sometimes when the verbal lesson doesn't work, you need an object lesson. Jesus is showing through his interaction with this woman line by line, what the disciples' perceptions are. At first, he totally ignores her, which would have been the customary practice of the day. Don't even bother with a dog, a Canaanite woman. And then they push her away. So what does he do? How many times do you read in the scripture where Jesus says, where the scripture says, Jesus perceived their thoughts 
And then he answered them accordingly. You think Jesus only did that the times where it says he did that? Or do you think he has got the ability to do that all the time? He's, he's mirroring for them the way that they want to treat her. And he's doing to her what he knows they're thinking about her. And then it finally gets to a place to where he says, this woman is so persistent. This woman's perception, this lady, how many of you know that for the Canaanite woman, she wasn't guilty of what Job was guilty of when Job said in chapter nine, verse 11, what I started with, behold, he passes by and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. How many know the Canaanite woman because her heart was full of faith and faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of that, or substance of things hoped for, evidence of things you can't see. When Jesus passed by, she said, I see who this guy is and I know he can transform my reality. And the disciples are trying to push her away. He says, these guys have got to learn this lesson. He says, I need you to be able to partner with me to see realities transformed in the life of other people, to bring transformation to the earth. But you're not going to get it unless you become my apprentice, which means you're going to have to watch what I do and you're going to have to know why I do it. Jesus relates to the Canaanite woman exactly as the disciples are relating her internally. And then when she pushes through all those barriers and does what he knows she's going to do, he can't hold it in anymore. And he says, woman, great is your faith. Be healed. I mean, Jesus had every intention of healing her daughter from the moment that she walked up. But there was a lesson to be learned for the disciples. He had to change their perceptions because he knew one day Peter would be in Acts chapter 10 and have to minister to a Cornelius. Read this in your free time, Acts 10, 1 through 22. Peter's having a vision. He's in prayer. A sheet comes down with all these unclean things. And God says, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, can't do that, Lord. I've never ate anything unclean my whole life. And how many of you know that the Lord says, don't call unclean what I've made clean? I'm citing the source. You can go read it in your free time. And he does that three times. How many of you know some of us have three times as thick a skull as others? Peter was one of those people. Was Peter there when this happened with the Canaanite woman? Of course he was. But how many of you know growing in your ability to perceive the Lord's presence is a process and it's a practice and even the heroes of the faith have struggled with it. Peter's still ultimately holding on to some perceptions that are keeping him from being used by God to see some realities transformed by the Lord and he comes to him again. He's taught him a lesson in Matthew 15. Now in Acts 10, the sheet's coming down and he tells him, arise, kill, and eat. Don't call unclean what I've made clean. And the very next thing that happens is that he's got this opportunity to go minister to Cornelius, a Gentile. And Cornelius' whole family gets saved. And as Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on everybody. They all start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And Peter says, if God hasn't held back his gift of the Holy Spirit from the Gentiles, how can we withhold the waters of baptism? And everybody gets saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Happy day. I know that transformation was impossible until Peter perceived God's presence and allowed his perceptions to change so that transformation could come through his world. Through, through him into the world. And we know that Peter continues to struggle with this because in Galatians chapter two, verse 11, it says that Paul has to rebuke him to his face because when he's eating with the Jews, 
He's great with the Jews, but when the Gentiles would show up or he's eating with the Gentiles, he's fine with them. But whenever the Jews would show up, he would leave the Gentiles and go sit with the Jews and pretend like he didn't have any association with them. And Paul rebuked him to his face. How do you know that Jesus, the person that we're perceiving, is full of grace and truth? How do you know that the consistency of Jesus working on your perceptions is going to be for the rest of your life? But as you grow in revelation, listen to me, as you grow in revelation, you grow in intensity in regards to correction. God is fair. God is just. He only holds people accountable to what they know, not what they don't know. And as you go on a journey of increasing with Jesus changing your perception by means of his revelation, the more revelation that you step into, the more you become accountable for. Jesus has got a object lesson with the Canaanite woman, shows him. Peter still doesn't get it. He's there on the rooftop. Jesus shows him in a vision three times, the sheet coming down. He still doesn't get it. He uses Paul to rebuke him to his face because a true friend doesn't just know your favorite food, tells you when you got food in your teeth. Don't despise being rebuked openly by a friend because you're not catching the lesson that Jesus is trying to bring you. But don't be condemned because if Peter struggled with changing his perception, so are you. The road of discipleship ultimately, or apprenticeship to Jesus, means you're learning to perceive the patient persistence of Jesus's grace and truth in your life. And you're letting that persistent grace and truth in your life change your thinking, thereby transforming who you are. And that's why it's important to perceive God's presence.